Wow, we are looking at a big subject this morning. Came to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this a uh, couple weeks ago, and there was so much here that I said we're going to break it up. Call it a sermon series. Call it a teaching series through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Two weeks ago, we established the fact, the historical truth of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. Then last week, the theme of my teaching as we moved into part two was Jesus will triumph. Jesus will triumph over death. And this morning, as we come into part three of chapter 15, we're going to see this, that Jesus will triumph through you, through your resurrection from the dead. It's a big thought. You know, that's totally foreign to the concept of our human minds living in this natural world to think that people will be raised from the dead. But it's the clear teaching of God's word. It's the, it's the eternal hope of all men. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning we're looking at verses uh, for, uh, 30, 35 through 49. Let's go ahead and um, read our passage. Let's pray first, then we'll read our passage, then I'll dive into the teaching. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Thank you for this amazing subject of the resurrection. That's why you gave us this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, so we could learn about it. Lord, help us to embrace this truth. Help this truth to transform our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49 says this. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. For all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, there's another flesh of beast, there's another flesh of birds, there's another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, but it is raised imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. All I can say is this. Wow. Wow. To think that after this life is over, there will be a resurrection. And we will see God face to face. It's, just, it's beyond our comprehension, but it's the truth. It's the truth. You know, I think back to what Job said in Job 19, 25 through 27. He says, he said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God. Whom 
I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart. This is what Job says thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. He says in verse 27, my heart faints within me. This is huge. This is big. What this should do is cause us in life to have an eternal perspective. Don't get me wrong. I love life. I love my family. I, I, I love living. But ultimately, I know that my days here on earth are numbered. And passages like this say, you know what, David? You need to live with an eternal perspective. Yeah, I want to live till I'm 90 with my great-grandchildren. I'm all out rocking on the front porch and all that good stuff and having fun and playing music and going to church. But ultimately, i got to live with an eternal perspective. And the theme of my, of my teaching for the past couple weeks is this. God is awesome. God is awesome. And he will triumph. And the, the aspect of what we see in the text today is he will triumph. It means this. Jesus will finish what he started at Calvary. You know, it's not completely done. Okay? Yes, our salvation is secure in Christ. We're eternally set. We're locked, caught, ready to rock, heading into eternity. But his work is not completely done. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. But then there's also coming a day where he will complete this with our bodily resurrection. Amazing. Amazing. Philippians, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.6, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Here it is until the day of Christ Jesus. He is working in us and through us up until that day of completion. And that day of completion, he's going to give you a brand new body. Can I get an amen? amen. He's going to give us a brand new body. If you look throughout, if you look at the whole of the New Testament, you see our Christian walk can be broken down into three phases. The first phase is justification. Justification is when you come to Christ. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God justifies you. He puts you in a right relationship with him. Phase two, sanctification. Sanctification is where if you're a believer, you're in that process right now, where he is sanctifying you. He is setting you apart. He is making you holy. He is changing you and transforming you to be more dedicated to him, to be more dedicated to him, to be conformed more into his image. You're growing, I like to call it, as a Christian. And, and, and you're slicing off the old ways of life as the Holy Spirit does his work. But then, there's a, a, the New Testament teaches, there's a third phase. That third phase is called glorification. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Glorification. When you receive the ultimate reward of your salvation, which is eternal life. Eternal life. Who wants to die? I don't want to die. But we've come into this world where sinners, as a result of the fall... We're going to experience death, but through his death and resurrection, we can experience eternal life. We can have our sins forgiven, our sins washed away, and we can be forgiven. Now, the big question comes now is, what is this, what is this body like? You know, we see all these shows on TV, and, and, you know, and the thought of somebody rising from the dead is like, oh, this is a little scary. But no, it's not like that. These are perfect bodies. These are glorified bodies. These are not zombies. You've never seen nothing like this on TV or no movies or no shows. These are perfect. These are the way we want them to be, the way we're moving towards. So let's look at it, guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at verse 35 as we work our way through this passage. 
But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? People have questions. People have questions. You have questions about the resurrection. Whoa, that's a big thought. How about cremation? How about, a, how about a person who after they pass away, they're cremated? What happens to their ashes? How are they going to receive a resurrected body? I was uh, um, in the Navy for four years. I was on the, on the carrier Eisenhower. We stayed haze, gray, and underway. Got tired of it. We did circles around the Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf. And one time, we, we lost a guy. A guy went overboard. And uh, they called man overboard. Everybody went up to the flight deck of the carrier. And they had, he had the, the, the skipper had every single person possible on that flight deck looking out at all directions. We circled for three days. We never saw him. Couldn't find him. They, fi- they finally uh, they, they found what looked to be a partial of a shoe floating in the water. But what will happen to him? He was lost at sea in 1993. How about this one? How about if someone's eaten by a shark? How about, how about if a, somebody's eaten by a shark, and that shark is caught, and then that shark is cooked, and then he, it's eaten, you know, shark steaks. What happens to those people where there are no more <laughs> remains? I mean, what happens to them in the bodily resurrection for the believer? I'll answer that question here in my teaching. God welcomes open and honest questions. He does. It's okay to have questions, because it's outside of our realm of thinking, and we have to think long and hard, and It it creates all kinds of questions in our mind. And God's okay with those as long as it comes from a humble heart and a teachable spirit. If we look at the first two words in verse 36, though, this is not the case here. Some some of the the believers at Corinth didn't believe in the resurrection. If you go back and look at verse 12, it says that some of them are saying there was no resurrection. These people are mocking. And Paul is addressing the critics and the skeptics and and the unbelievers there at Corinth that we're not believing in the resurrection. And look what he says in verse 36. He says, you fool, you fool. It's a pretty harsh word. The Greek word is aphron. It, it means without intelligence, empty-headed, stupid, egotistical. It means they're focused on themselves. It means they're unwise. It means that um, you're not thinking. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Go look it up. In Strong's Concordance, it's G878. Very strong words for this Greek word that's used, Aphron, for fool. They were rejecting the resurrection. And let me say this. When you reject the resurrection, when you reject God, it's a very, very foolish thing. It's a very foolish thing. It is the greatest mistake any human being breathing air on this planet could do when they reject God, when they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, when they, when, especially when they re- reject his resurrection from the dead. There's, I, I believe there's two reasons why people reject Christ's resurrection. Number one, they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable for their actions. They don't, they don't want to be held accountable for their life. You know, that I want to live my life. It's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And ain't nobody going to tell me, including God. That's number one. Number two, they just can't see his glory. They can't see the glory of Jesus and him coming into our lives. They cannot see that glory. Their hearts are darkened. I was there once. I was there once. I clearly remember living right here in Irmo and and Christians witnessing to me. And I thought to myself, if I become a Christian, i got to stop doing this. And I said, no thanks. I didn't want to do it. My heart wasn't ready. 
because I knew I couldn't live in the sin I wanted to live in. I couldn't do it. And then secondly, I just couldn't, I couldn't see the glory. Like them old religious people, they just religious. They got all that religion bound up together, and they just religious people. I couldn't see what was at stake. I couldn't see the glory of, of, of Jesus paying the price at Calvary and him rising from the dead and him coming in and giving me new life. And then it happened to me. I got saved. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. How could I miss out on this? Paul is not going to let up in verse 36. Now he's going to take him to school. He says, you think the resurrection is difficult? I'm going to go even deeper. Look at verse 36. He says in verse 36, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What's Jesus saying here? It takes death. It takes death to bring life. Jesus said in uh, John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he talking about? When Jesus died on the cross, he went into the earth. He rose from the grave. Him and him alone started Christianity. And look at Christianity today. Millions, if not billions of believers around the earth today gathering to worship him. It started with one. He, as we saw last week, he was our first fruits. And now, today, there's millions of, of followers of Jesus. Uh, there was a poll taken in 2010. In 2010, there's an estimated 2.2 billion Christians in the planet today, followers of Jesus. There's a, um, as I was looking at this, and looking at John chapter 12, verse 24, if you continue in the verses after it, you'll see that there's a death that takes place in us. Do you know that? When you become a believer, there's a death that takes place in us. There's a death to the old life. Throughout the Christian walk, as we grow and we mature in our relationship with Christ, there's a letting go of the old way of life. That old person, he passes away. He passes away. He's gone. That's what happens in the Christian life. Some people, it's instant and it's overnight. The, 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 the old is gone. For some of us, it takes time as we grow in sanctification where we lay the old man down and we pursue the new life. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. There it is. Here it is, guys. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ. It's Christ living in us. So there's this death that takes place within the believer. But anyway, he says, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Jesus goes into the earth. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And we see Christianity today. All of us are fruits and byproducts of what happened at Calvary. Verse 37, he continues, he says, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it, here it is, but God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. This passage here, we see God is sovereign God is sovereign. He alone creates life. He alone creates life. We do not control, we don't even control life and death. We, we, don't, we don't control life or death. We don't know 
when our last day is going to be. But you know what, though, we can do? Despite not being able to control life and death, we can rest. We can rest in the sovereignty of God. That he is ultimately in control, and that should cause our hearts to rest. That we rest, because it says, it says, verse 38, but God gives it a body just as he wished. It's his plan, not ours. Verse 39 says, uh, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one flesh of men, there's another flesh of beast, there's another flesh of birds, there's another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. There's another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now in verses 39, verses 39 through uh, 41, we see a comparison here. We see a comparison and we see a difference that the Apostle Paul is comparing here. We have the, it says in there, it says, we have the glory of the earthly bodies and we have the glory of the heavenly bodies. What's the difference? The glory of the earthly, body, of the earthly bodies as we being a product of Adam is what? We're marked by the fall. We're marked by sin. We're marked by death. The ultimate statistic. There's no way around it. Ten out of ten people die because of the fall. Because, because of what happened, the fall, we're all heading that way towards eternity. And we have to pass through the doors of death. But it says in here, you know, he's talking about the beast. It says uh, the flesh of men, the flesh of beasts, the flesh of birds. Talking about earthly bodies. But then he makes a comparison. He said... There's one glory of those, but then there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for all the stars, different glory. There's a glory of the heavenly bodies. And the heavenly bodies that we're moving towards, that's a promise of God from trusting in Christ, that when we go to be with him, our heavenly bodies will be marked by glory and honor. They will be perfect. No more sin. No more sicknesses, no more death. They will be perfect. We will see him just as he was, just as he was in his resurrected body. He wasn't this invisible spirit. He, he, was, he was spiritual, he was physical, he was supernatural. The disciples could feel and touch him. He ate fish after his resurrection. We're going to talk about this more in a minute, but he went through walls. He went through walls. He had this supernatural body. That's a big promise. That is a huge promise of, of, of Christianity. That's a huge promise of, of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to, to long for that heavenly dwelling. And it hits us most when what? When tragedy strikes. When tragedy strikes our life and our hearts are broken. And we say, man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get to this place called heaven and see all this glory. I'll, I, I appreciate all the movies that are out there. I, I haven't watched any of them. But, you know, I really believe all these movies on heaven, Hollywood has gotten on to something. They see all these Christians wanting to go to these movies and learn about heaven that they've cashed in. And we're having all these movies come out about being in heaven and seeing heaven. I appreciate those movies. I haven't seen them. But I got enough in the Word of God 
to instruct me and tell me about what heaven is. Listen to what Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2. But the Apostle Paul was yearning for this place called heaven. Think about what Paul went through. He abandoned his Judaism from the Damascus Road experience, became a follower of Jesus. He spent his whole entire life enduring persecution, uh, going through a rough life to spread the gospel across Europe because he was longing for his heavenly home. Second Corinthians 5.2 says this, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Folks, believers in Jesus, this is not your home. You're, you're like Pilgrim's Progress. You're a pilgrim. You're passing through. Now, we've got to make the best of this life. You need to get a good education, go to college, get a job, live a life. But ultimately, we've got to remember, this is not our eternal home. And we need to make sure that we're investing for eternity, that, that, that we're evangelizing and we're sharing the gospel with people, that we're actively engaging the Lord in our walk and growing deeper into our relationship with him. This is not your best life now. In 2004, there was a book written called Your Best Life Now. For two years, it was on the New York Times bestseller. Over 8 million copies sold. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not true. It's not true. This is not your best life now. Don't get me wrong. I want to have a happy life, and I want to live a long life, and I want to be blessed, and I want to enjoy life. But no matter how great or awesome or beautiful or good this life is, that's going to be a million times better. <laughs> this life, despite how good or how bad it may be, will, will, will pale in comparison to the life in heaven. The best is yet to come. The life in heaven will be glorious. It will be, um, it will be off the chain, I like to say. Because one day we'll get there and we're going to be like, we're going to get weak at the knees. We're going to be like, whoa, this place is so awesome. I was with my mom uh, Friday, yesterday, at the um, Ballantine Center Adult Daycare. And she's in a wheelchair. And she asked me, she said, Dave, will you pray for my healing? I said, you got it, mom, we will. Laid hands on her, prayed for her healing. And, um, you know, and I could tell her, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is going to heal you. God is going to heal you. We were praying and we're hoping that God heals her in this life. That would be awesome. But if for some reason, in his sovereign plan, he chooses not to, one day when she leaves this life and she steps into the glory of heaven, she is going to be one Pentecostal, holy, rolling, dancing in the streets of glory believer. She will be healed. She will be healed. So the best is yet to come, no matter what happens in this life. Now, let's, let's look at... I, 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 talked about it in my email this week. Let's look at, um, look at some questions. Let's, let's see what the answers are to the questions about our new body. This new body. What's it going to be like? What, what can we anticipate? Look at verse 42. It says, uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead, talking about the heavenly versus the earthly. It says, and you're going to see in these next two verses, there's two key words. There's um, sown 
and raised. When, he, when the Apostle Paul uses the word sown, he's talking about the earthly life. When he uses the word raised, he's talking about the resurrected life. You'll see it as we go through it. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is, here it is, sown a perishable life. He's talking about this life, here and now on planet earth. It's a, it's a perishable body. What does the word perishable mean? It means corrupt, destructive, decaying. We see this everywhere. We see this in the second law of thermodynamics, which says things are going from what? From order to disorder. Things are winding down. Things are becoming undone. We see it in life. We see it in earth. We see it in the universe. Uh, we call it the, uh, the law of, in- increase of, of entropy. Things are going from order to disorder. So we live in this perishable body. We, 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 we will pass. We will pass. It's the ultimate statistic. But look at what it says. So also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body. We come into this world, into this life, with a body that will perish, it will decay. But it, in the resurrection, it says, it is raised an imperishable body. So the first thing we see here about this new resurrected body that you will receive when you get to heaven is it can't be destroyed It can't be destroyed. It's an eternal body. Your greatest, the greatest enemy, death, will ultimately be defeated. So the first principle of the body is is it can't be destroyed. It will be eternal. Verse 43, it says, uh, talking about here on earth, it is sown in dishonor. That word dishonor, it means uh, shame. It it means uh, guilt. It means uh, brokenness. You know, there's things that happen in life. There's things that we do in this life because we live in a fallen world that produces shame, that produces um, brokenness, and it produces guilt. There's things that people struggle with their whole entire life in the area of dishonor. But that's what I love about the gospel. That's what I love about Christianity is Jesus takes a person who is broken by shame, who is broken by guilt, who is just broken. And what does he do? He puts them back together. He saves them. He restores them. And he heals them. And he takes what the worm and the locust have taken in their life, and he restores us, and he puts us back together. I know many of you have a testimony, but I think back to my days before Christ and the life and the path I was heading and the direction I was going, and, and the destructive nature of my life. And I think about how God has brought me back and put me back together. I've gone to too many of my friends' funerals that, that passed because of drugs and alcohol and living a life of promiscuity. And I think about how he has restored me and healed me of those things but verse 43, he says, uh, sown in dishonor, talking about life on this earth, shame, guilt, and brokenness. But it says, verse 43, it says, it is raised in glory. This new body that you will have, it will be clothed with God's beauty and God's splendor. It will be glorious. It will be mind-blowing. There will be no shame, no guilt, no brokenness. It will be perfect. And I don't, even know if, I don't even know in this life if we know what perfect means. I think once we get to heaven, we're going to be like, now this is perfect. Now this is the way it should be. It's going to be amazing. It says, 
Continuing there in verse 43, it says, It is sown in weakness. That word weakness means weak, frail, prone to sickness, fragile, can be broken easily. And that's how we are in this life because of the fall. But it says, but look there, verse 43, it says, but it is raised in power. It is raised in power. This new body will have no weakness, no frailty, no sickness. And I like this part about it too. It will be supernatural. It will be supernatural. We'll have a body like Jesus's where we can go through walls. Me and Robert will be in the new heavens and new earth. Hey, let's go check out Mars. Traverse time and space, just like Jesus did. When the disciples were in the room, it says the door was shut. And what did Jesus do? The door wasn't opened. He went, he appeared in there. He had a supernatural body, this tangible body that ate fish. So in this new heavens and this new earth, I, I, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg too. I think we're going to learn things about this new body that's going to be mind-blowing. But we will have a supernatural body just like Jesus's. Hey, let's go check out the rings around Saturn. Go check it out. Let's, let's go to the North Pole. We'll show up at the North Pole. Let's, let's go to Italy. Let's go fishing. Let's go here. I mean, it's going to be supernatural. It's going to be amazing. I think we're going to get there. We're going to be like, holy moly, this is awesome. You know, there's this thing, you know, people think about heaven. They think about, um, they, they, they see Lashu and Sun June sitting on a cloud with angelic wings playing a harp. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not even close. But we think harps and lyres and sitting on these white clouds and, and going through eternity. But no, that's not how it is. We're going to have a new body, a new life. It's going to be supernatural. It says it is raised in power. The new body will be supernatural, just like the Lord Jesus Christ will. We won't be um, subject to the elements of the natural world. We'll have a supernatural body. Let's look at verse 44. It says, It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. If, and he says there, this is very important, if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. As I said, there will be no angels. With, we, will, we will not be angels with harps sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And, but we will have real, tangible bodies in this new heavens and then in this new earth. There is it's spiritual, it's natural, it can be touched, it can be held onto. That's hard for some of us to grasp, but it's what the Scripture teaches. It's what the Scripture teaches. Now, a couple questions. I went out there and explored some questions about heaven. I'm going to try to do my best to answer them. Some, this is kind of off-subject. of the. Well, it, it, it is with the text, but let's look at some questions. What, is, what, what will this new body be like? What will life be like in heaven? Question number one, will we be ourselves? Will we know our loved ones? That's a good question. Amen. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 49. Just as if we have been born the image of the earthly, so we also will bear the image of the heavenly. We will know our loved ones. We will, we will not lose our identity in heaven, okay? We will know each other. We will know people. Hey, Robert, what's up, dude? Give him a high five. In uh, Matthew 8.11, uh, it says, uh, 
I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table, and, and Jesus identifies them with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We will know people as they were known here on earth. We will not lose our identity. You will not be changed into another person. Yes, you, we're going to have to spend eternity with me and Robert and Tony and Tina and Fish. We're going to know each other throughout all eternity. So we will know ourselves, and we will know our loved ones. Praise the Lord. Be a reunion. Number two, question number two, will we eat and drink? Will they be eating and drinking in heaven? What does the Bible say? Yes. Yes, we will eat and drink. What did Jesus do after his resurrection? What did he eat? Fish. Went to a fish fry with the disciples. He ate fish. What are we invited to? The wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper. So we're going to be eating and we're going to be drinking. So that will be taking place in heaven. How about this one? Will we wear clothes? I hope so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yes, we will wear clothes. Uh, Revelation 7.9. Revelation 7.9 says, We will wear white garments, praise the Lord. We will wear clothes in heaven. We will wear clothes. Um, how about this one? What age will we appear? That was a really fascinating um, study this week. What age will we appear? You know, the scripture doesn't specifically say, okay? I'll tell you that right now. The scripture doesn't specifically say, when you get to heaven, you're going to be 42 years old. It doesn't say. But I did a little research. Most people believe that when we get to heaven, we will be at that perfect age. And that perfect age is different for, for, for people. Thomas Aquinas, who was a, a, a medieval theologian in the Middle Ages, he believed, he taught um, in his writings that, that we will be 33 based on the age of Jesus. Based on, they say it, right in that time, now don't take me to the bank on this, okay? We're kind of we're going out on a little rabbit trail here. Don't go say, we're going to be 33 in heaven. I'm just sharing with you what I, what I was looking at this week. But Thomas Aquinas says he believes that we'll be around age 33. They believe at that age is right when people are at their peak in, in health and life. So take it for what it is. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be perfect. That's what we can say. That's what, we can, that's what you can take to the bank. That's what you can say that Pastor David says is it will be a perfect age. Perfect age. All right. What happened to the dude eaten by sharks? What happened to the guy lost at sea and, and, and the great white made him lunch? Well, a couple thoughts here. The, let's look at the first law of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics says this. Matter can neither be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. All the molecules and all the atoms and all there is is still here. It can't be destroyed. It can't create. All it can do is change. It can, it can change its form. We know that from science. I want to read to you what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon, he, he preached a sermon in 1858, I found, on this subject, and this is what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, God knows where every particle of the handful of dust has gone. He has marked it in his book, uh, the, in his book, The Wandering of Every One of Its Atoms. He hath death so open for, for his view that he can bring all these things together, bone to bone, and clothe them with every flesh that robed them in the days of yore and make them live again. 
here's the deal. God's omniscient. God's almighty. He knows all. And he knows every single particle of dust on this earth. And he knows exactly where it's at. He knows the rings around Saturn. He knows every infinite speck in this endless universe that goes in every direction. He knows everything. And he knows exactly where it's at. And in his sovereignty and his power, he can bring it back. And it's not going to, it's going to be, as we said a while ago, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope those answers some of your questions on heaven and, and the resurrected body. But I, I will say, I'll tell you from the, from the outset, though, whatever I touched is just a small percent of what it's really going to be like. It's going to be beyond our imagination. It's going to be glorious. The best is yet to come for us believers through this resurrection. Some of us um, are frail, are weak, are broken. Well, my friend, one day you will be healed, if not in this life, in the one to come. Amen? That's the promise of the resurrection. Man, that's, that's an amazing promise of Christianity. Being a believer of Jesus, not only does he change your life in the here and now and transform you and give you a new heart and a new life, but he does it in eternity also. Amazing. Let's wrap up this passage. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. We see throughout the New Testament, there's this comparison and contrast between Adam and Jesus. There's this, we're all here now, in this life now, we're the product of Adam. That's why all men on the earth are sinners. All men and women are sinners, and they have fallen short of God's glory. Because we have followed, just like Adam did in the garden, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, We're fallen and we're broken by sin. But then, the scripture here and in in Romans, it calls Jesus the last Adam because because he becomes a life-giving spirit. And I'm very thankful that this life-giving spirit, it doesn't start when we step into eternity, but it starts now. It starts in the here and now. No matter what's happened in our past, no matter how bad we've been hurt, no matter what life has thrown us a curveball, we can be restored. We can be transformed in the life here and now and in the one to come by this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the life-giving spirit. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy, and the second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as in the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the earth, so also we will bear the image of the heavenly. As we close, we see that man in his fallen state, as, as I said a while ago, is a product of Adam. We're all, we have all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. But Christ, the second Adam, has 
abolished the sting of death and the guilt of sin through his resurrection from the dead. Through his death at Calvary. And he offers that to all men. Whosoever, the scripture says, will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our favorite verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This book, when you take, when you take this book serious, it has life transforming truths that will change the way we think. I remember all those years before I became a Christian thinking I'd heard about this thing of Jesus returning and Christ coming back to the earth, and I was always paranoid about it. I was always paranoid about it. I, can, I, I, I resisted it. I, I, I resisted Christianity because I didn't want to change the way I was living. Like I said a while ago, I didn't want to be held accountable. But by me receiving him as my Lord and Savior and following him, he's, he, he's removed my sin, and he's abolished the fear of death. And the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you for this um, verse-by-verse study through the 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Lord, let these truths sink deep in our heart. Help us to have an eternal perspective on life. Help us to know that you are sovereign you're in control. And God, if there's anyone that's here that's not sure, Lord, let them do what your word says. Let them call upon the name of the Lord to repent and put their trust in you, Lord Jesus, and to receive you. Let them see this glorious truth. It's more than just a religion. It's a relationship and it's reality. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.